The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. We are now four weeks into the NFL season. Can you believe it? Uh, and once again, the primetime games have really come through. I think the Raiders-Chargers game just ended about an hour ago now. We're recording this late on a Monday night because we wanted to wait until after that AFC West battle do this week four recap episode. And... Uh, Man, the Chargers almost chargered, but then they became the new version of the Chargers. So it's been a very intriguing opening to the season, at least from that standpoint. But before we get into all this week's action, I want to welcome my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. Buddy, how you doing and what are you drinking? I'm good. It's late, but we had a good slate of games this weekend. We had a great Monday night game. You and I talked about it earlier today. Really, we we gotta wait until that game's over. It's gonna be a good game. And it I think everybody felt that and it turned out that way. So that was really impressive. Um, cool to see the new version of the Chargers. Uh, but I'm good, a little on the sleepy side, but that doesn't mean I'm drinking coffee tonight. I am drinking uh pale ale from Bowie Beers, uh, down in Astoria, Oregon. I've had uh several offerings from them, but not their pale, so I'm excited to try it. And yeah, I'm excited to get into it. We got a lot to talk about. Uh, it was an exciting week uh, for us, but what are you drinking? So if you if you see this this dark glass of death right here, see if I can get the camera to focus on it. Uh, this is, there we go. Uh, this is Balcona's Brimstone, which is one of the meanest whiskeys I think you can you can put in your body. Not necessarily like the highest proof. Well, it's 53%. What am I kidding? It's 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 pretty high proof. But also just it's aggressive. It's it's supposed to be aggressive. They call it brimstone for a reason. It's like you're you're drinking liquefied smoked barbecue that's just there to tear up your insides and you know watching the bills beat the texans 40 to 40 to nothing this weekend i felt like i didn't deserve happiness so i broke out the meanest whiskey i could possibly find to punish myself and get through this show which by the way for for people watching listening at home we are not going to talk about that bills texans game because my sanity cannot take it i've said my piece on the texans as an organization right now and um I'm going to stick with that because if I try to talk about that game, I'm going to say some shit that I regret. 
So I'm looking after myself and I'm just going to drink this Balcones Brimstone, try to drown out the pain. But uh, before we get into these games, I do want to make quick announcement, little news and notes uh, type thing. Bootleg is now on Patreon. You guys have been asking for it for a long time. You know, they wanted to know how you could support the show beyond just watching and listening and, and chatting with us. We are now on Patreon. Um, it's I, I know it's been a long time coming, but we're really happy you guys stuck it out with us. We cannot thank you all who have already contributed. And for everybody who's about to contribute or contribute in the future, again, you guys are amazing. We could not do this without you. Yeah, it's a big deal for us. Again, we appreciate your patience. We know it took a while. We wanted to do it right. We wanted to set up some good tiers uh, for everybody out there. And one of the coolest things uh, about being a Patreon supporter of Bootleg is that you get a nice chunk of change off bootleg gear. So you can go to the store and get yourself one of these or Brett's favorite hat. Hoodies are great this time of year. It's starting to get chilly. Um, so even at the $5 a month level, uh, you're going to get $10 off a single purchase. Um, at the Ring of Honor level, which is $20 a month, you're going to get $25 off a single purchase. So that's a that's more than half the hoodie right there. Um, and basically a free shirt. So go check it out. Um, grab some gear. Uh, even if you're not going to become a Patreon supporter, head over to bootlegfootballpodcast.com. You'll check out all the fine merch there. We have our glasses and mugs. Uh, again, you can look just like Brett. You put on that hoodie, that hat. Nobody's going to know it's not him. And especially you pull the hood up, like walk down the strip in Vegas. People are going to be like getting autographs. It's going to be great. But um, <laughs> thanks so much for everybody that has asked about Patreon, uh, put forward an interest in supporting what we do you can support us from anywhere in the world with just a few clicks and help create more of this content that you all love so much. So can't thank you enough. We're looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, we're going to get into our three up, three down, three interesting for the week. Yeah. Three up number one. Again, these are, you know, games that we, we find enjoyable to watch for one reason or another, you know, our favorite games of the week. Uh, this was also on our watch list from last week and it definitely, I think it paid off, maybe not for Rams fans watching, but I, I think for me and EJ, it paid off to watch it because it kind of uh, solidified some things in terms of how we look at not just the NFC West, but also the NFC as a whole, and that is Cardinals, Rams. What I, you know, very high level takeaway before we kind of get into the nitty gritty and what happened in this game and, and key plays and stuff. What I found interesting is when I watched it back a second time, probably like an hour before I watched the Chargers Raiders game. When I watched back a second time, I realized like, you know, the Rams weren't that far away from making this a game. There was maybe three or four plays, you know, a couple key turnovers, you know, not converting on the fourth and goal. Um, a couple inexplicable play calls that I really didn't understand. But again, it was like three to five plays in this game that made the difference between them getting blown out by like three or four scores and them potentially being pretty close in this one. I think when they meet again, this is going to be a, a lot closer of a game and potentially go even the other way. Cause again, it was, it, I did not really see like a talent disparity here. It was just a few key plays that really broke this thing open. Yeah. It was odd knowing how it ended, knowing what the score was. I watched it strangely enough, almost the exact same time you did about an hour before the Monday night game. And the thing that surprised me was the Rams opened looking like the Rams. 
they were ripping off yardage. They were making big holes for their running game. Uh, Stafford was dialed in for the first drive or two. And I thought, how in the hell did this happen? Like, how did they end up getting blown out? They look pretty sharp. Cardinals also looked really sharp, but they continued to make plays. And the Rams hit that period, I would say, really for about mid-second quarter. And I, it feels to me very much like when Kyler got that long third down conversion, which he had no business getting, only Kyler Murray yeah. gets that conversion. It, you can watch it back 10 times and think, nope, should have got stopped short of the short of the marker on all 10 of those. But somehow he Kylers it up. And that really took the gas out of the Rams. And after that, they misfired a lot. And the the Cardinals just kept on making plays. And they made plays on both sides of the ball. They kept their foot on the gas, and they just made more plays. Like you said, talent on both sides. Cards kept executing. Rams started that way and then fell off. And it was a, a third and 16 scramble. That's the, the play you're referencing where – you know, the, the Rams were about to limit the damage for their offense kind of sputtering a little bit. You know, Cardinals were kind of getting down in the red area. Um, and again, third and 16, they're backed up. They're going to hold them to a field goal. Kyler gets loose. I mean, it's one of those where it's like the rush angles are there, but he's such a unique athlete where even if you guys, even if your rushers have depth and width, he just needs to give you one little shake inside. And if you kind of step in the bucket, he's gone again. And there was a 54, I think it was, you know, had an angle on him until he didn't. So it's like you're making two guys miss in space and, and then converting third and 16 with your legs. They kept off that drive with the touchdown like that. That was a really big turning point because it it went from probably going to be like a 17 to 10 lead. And the Rams are still in this thing to 21 to 10 lead, like one score versus two score it, it kind of started to unravel from there. And like, believe it or not, the Cardinals. 13 third down attempts. They converted eight of them, like 61% on third down. That's ridiculous. And it was Kyler with his legs, Kyler with his arm. Somehow AJ Green turned into 2014 AJ Green for a week and they couldn't handle him. Had a beautiful touchdown when they went out to empty and he kind of hit the corner to the boundary on attack and slip a release. So he kind of nodded outside and then just cut up field and did AJ Green things like it's not even like he got over the top of the corner. It's just Kyler left the ball perfectly inside of him. And, you know, when AJ's got leverage on you, there's not much you can do. It, it just, it, it it really started to spiral out of control. And uh, one play that I want to bring up that I think also made a huge difference, that Byron Murphy interception. He's now got three picks in four games. I want to put in context how crazy this was. If I have time, I'll throw up some all 22 of this play. Uh, as I'm talking about it, if you're watching the YouTube video or version of this show you'll see it um this was a quarters beater like they faked a, a through route that turned into a deep seven to kind of get the safety to bite down and then it, it kind of froze the corner so he couldn't quite zone off and get to the post like this was a quarters coverage beater and the cardinals were in quarters coverage it's a deep post he's over the top from outside leverage like 100 percent dead to rights Stafford knew it he let that ball go got it all the way down to like the 15 yard line of the numbers and Byron Murphy somehow just got on his horse and tracked his ball down made up ground undercut it for a pick one of the most incredible interceptions of this entire season probably the best play that Byron Murphy's ever played in his life like th that was that was nuts 
And all of a sudden, I when I first saw that pick, I was like, ooh, that's going to probably flip this game. Because if you're taking away the Rams' ability to hit that deep shot on a schemed-up deep post, which is what they've been doing all season long, if you take that away, you just cut out the jugular for that entire offense. And they just could not get going without that deep ball. Yeah, and they... Not only did they do that, but they flipped it around and started gutting the Rams defense on explosive pass plays, which is exactly what that defense is built to stop. Right. So you you take away the Rams ability to go deep on their bread and butter and you start cutting into them deep on pass plays that they're designed to shut down and you do it with regularity. And that was enough. But Murphy on that pick, not only does he cover a ton of ground from weird leverage, he baited Stafford into throwing it. He knew he was going to be there. He waited. He could have been in front earlier and just shut it down so that Stafford wouldn't trigger it. He hung out on the back shoulder. And then as soon as Stafford let it go, because it had to travel a ways in the air, cut in front, pure hands pick, gorgeous play, really nice mentally and physically. But the Cardinals difference in this game was not all their household names. I mean, Kyler, yes. But Max Williams had the best game I think I've ever seen him play as a pro. I was a big Max Williams supporter when he got drafted, had a bunch of issues and he got to the pros, never really developed, was signed for cheap <laughs> to go to Arizona yeah. and made a ton of plays in this game. Chase Edmonds, who if you're a Cardinals fan, you know Chase Edmonds. He's a really talented back. He's the reason they didn't go out and sign a big free agency back because they said, no, Chase Edmonds is going to support Cliff Kingsbury's running game and passing game the way we want him to. Um, but if you're not a Cardinals fan, you might not know about Chase Edmonds, the ghost of AJ Green you talked about, right? He's been a shell of himself for a year and a half. He's back. Byron Murphy, Jalen Thompson drew a couple penalties in this game, but played aggressive throughout. And I just have to say, like Byron Murphy and Jalen Thompson, a Husky and a Cougar working together in the backfield. What's the world <laughs> coming to? But Jalen Thompson made a bunch of plays in this game and and laid the lumber, made the Rams receivers start to know where he was because when they went across, he was going to make them pay. And these are not guys that typically power the Cardinals' success. And they made plays on the offensive side of the ball. They made plays on the defensive side of the ball. The defensive line was stout early in the game, bottling up the run. They gave up a few. Daryl Henderson looked pretty good running this game. Um but they got contributions on both sides of the ball and they didn't ever let off. And that's why it turned into this lopsided score. And, you know, it wasn't it wasn't just that, too. It was also on the other side, the Rams missing opportunities like the Cardinals were capitalizing on opportunities. The Rams were missing them like they had a, a seam ball to cup on like a third and four high red zone. They had it dead to rights. Like cup. I had to watch that yes. three times. Just to see what what went wrong. I was like, <laughs> and it was on the TV angle. It it actually hit like a yard to the right. Stafford got pressure and he never really got it to Cup. I thought, man, did that bounce off Cup's hands? And it went back, watched it. And it was just because of the TV angle, not the all 22. But it was like he was open and Cup doesn't typically let those go. And he dropped a couple this this game he didn't drop that one it was nowhere near him but there were a couple other ones that hit him and he just you're so used to him being velcro yeah i mean he caught the the third and 16 against two man where he got absolutely lit up by the safety mm. but then there was a couple others where it's like 
that's the one you complete, but not third and four and a wide open seam ball. Like again, he, I think it was more of miscommunication than anything. Cause he kind of took it vertical away from the post safety and Stafford kind of left it a little bit inside. And like he beat, uh, he beat the nickel so bad, which I actually think ironically was Byron Murphy on that play. He beat him so bad that he just took it straight vertical and Stafford's used to like, Oh, well there's going to be a guy on your outside leverage on the hip. I should leave it inside. And just, it didn't connect. And then, you know, they tried kicking a field goal and that missed. So all of a sudden they go from getting potentially seven to getting nothing. And again, you know, later in like a not quite garbage time, but pretty close to garbage time drive. Like it, it was like their last hope of desperation. They get down to the goal line. The sneak gets stuffed. They get a, a, a really good rub to Higby and that gets dropped. It's like it's just nothing worked for them. And he got tackled and, just short of that fourth or the third and third and short play like he got tackled oh, right before yeah, yeah right yeah. before it looked like he scored but his knee was down like the six inch line and you're like that's eh, a six inch line right they got a good offensive line that's points nope nope and normally for the rams it is and so many things through the middle portion of that game that normally work for the rams seamlessly just up in smoke and you know what happened on the ensuing cardinals drive after they failed on fourth and goal from the six inch line so they run the ball they run the ball. It's third and seven. They're just trying to get off their goal line. What do the Rams do? They make another mistake. They call this boneheaded two high shell. Both safeties are like 20 yards deep. It's a five-man box. Kyler just looks around and goes, okay, inside zone read it is. 50-yard gain. Yeah. And it's like, what are they doing? Like, they're just trying to run the ball. Like, Stack the box or at least get six in the box. Like, don't do five on five with a against a mobile quarterback. Like, are you suicidal? I don't know. I didn't I didn't really understand some of the calls the, the Rams were making in this game, at least defensively. Offensively, I felt like McVeigh was scheming stuff up. They just were not executing. Uh, but yeah, it was just it was a weird game for the Rams and a great game for the Cardinals. I think in a vacuum, these teams are very evenly matched. The scoreboard just didn't show it and i'm i'm psyched to see the rematch because this game did not spell to me that the rams are 20 points worse than the cardinals that's just kind of how it ended up um i do think these are very evenly matched teams that just any given sunday one of them can blow the other one out yeah i want to credit cliff and the cardinals though i don't i don't want to make it seem like we're saying the rams lost this game and the cardinals were the beneficiaries the cardinals won this game flat out like Cliff and his coaches and his players, they won this game flat out. They kept their foot on the gas. They got contributions all the way across the board, offense and defense. They went up against what has been a very good Rams team and made them look crappy, right? And they, they've they done it every week this year. They're undefeated. So, uh, you know, we give – I've certainly given Cliff a lot of shit in the past for not being able to kind of put the results on the board consistently – He's a great schemer, uh, great play caller at certain times, but other times, again, the offense doesn't support the defense. The Cardinals team is clicking right now. They've beat everybody in front of them. They just beat what everybody is saying is a Super Bowl, uh, not necessarily favorite, but a likely Super Bowl entrant this year handily. So want to give credit to Cliff and the Cardinals for a great first month of the season and for playing uh, as good a football as anybody in the NFL right now. Uh, and speaking of the NFC West, why don't we move on to three up number two, which was the other side of the division Seahawks at 49ers. 
maybe a little bit less less offensively inclined, more of a defensive game. Uh, but I think it was partially because both offenses were really struggling in the first half. Like Russ was off. Uh, like there's no bones about it. Russ was off. Like there's no other way for the Seahawks to go like negative yardage through a quarter and a half other than for Russell Wilson to just be having an off day. And then all of a sudden in typical Seahawks fashion, they, they rally off a bunch of points in a row, but it, it started off really slow for them. And on the, on the Niners side of the ball, you know, Jimmy G like first drive strained his calf, which not that I think it had that big of an impact in the Niners offense. Cause I think with Jimmy G in general, it's just not a very dynamic offense right now, but that certainly didn't help. And, you know, protection wasn't super great and, Fully healthy Jimmy G is not going to be super great under pressure as it is, let alone a hobbled one. Um, you know, the run game was solid, but again, not super dynamic. Um, it, it just nothing got going. It was like seven, seven, five minutes to go in the first half. And it, it felt like when you look at like all the statistics for the game, it felt like it should have been like 21, seven, but it's just they could not get going on either side. It was almost frustrating to watch because like there's defensive games and then there's just messy defensive games. This qualified as a messy defensive game. And then all of a sudden, alluded to it before, Russell Wilson happened and he just made some, some plays that honestly five guys in the world can make and he's one of them. The, the touchdown where um, they sent a receiver uh, in, in motion, it was on escort motion across and the Niners, when they saw that, they just sent the nickel because they're like, look, we'll, we'll we'll push the linebackers to push covers that side. Nickel, that's your guy. You just go. And so they sent the nickel. They had two guys free on Russ. He just got out of it, spun, turned around. And the guy that was on escort motion just wheeled up and the linebacker let him go for some reason. He threw a dart to the pylon for a touchdown. Like that's a play that only he can make. And once that happened, then it was on. Then it became not just a, a messy gross quote-unquote defensive battle and more of like a okay this is an actually interesting game to me and from then on I thought it was highly entertaining but man you had to you had to kind of slug through those first quarter and a half of that game before you got to anything good yeah it was the NFL version of running in mud like it just <laughs> wasn't great right and you talk to horse racing aficionados and like you have to appreciate mutters and it's a different day at the track right it's not pristine conditions and everything's working as it should you have two very talented teams and they're just not hitting on all cylinders. It's not that the defenses are great. They're good, but they're kind of cutting out their own opportunities. Like you said, the dynamism's not there. And what we're seeing in the modern NFL is you can, you can have a good solid run game. It's really not going to get you anywhere. You need some dynamism. You need some bigger plays. You need some broken holes and good reads where you can rip off 15, 18 yards a run. And, you know, that that's an explosive run play. If you don't have those, if you're getting lots of three and four and five yard runs that used to be really good, it doesn't really do anything for you anymore. And defenses don't fear it. They will let you have that all day because it grinds clock. It's not terribly threatening. And then Russ still has magic, right? That's my takeaway from this game is when he turns it on, there's very little you can do about it. The coverage on that dart to the pylon to, to Freddie Swain was like the rush was good. We talk about rushes and, and coverage being linked, right? The rush was good. And the cover guys are right there. <laughs> like 
They should have had him for a sack. So there's the good rush. And the coverage was still tight. It's not like they went, ah, they're going to get him. I'll just let this guy go. And then he spins out and throws to a wide open guy. He throws it into like a three foot box at the pylon. And he's surrounded by defenders. It's just a Russell Wilson thing to do. And it's super frustrating for a defense because like you said, you can play great coverage and there's five guys in the world that can beat you on that throw. And he's one of them. So yeah, once he turned it on, it got really interesting, but Seahawks, man, they just can't play regular games, right? Dan, that's Danny Kelly's great line. Seahawks never played a normal game in their life. And this was a very Seahawky game, right? Grindy and kind of gross. And then all of a sudden, woo! And they end up, <laughs> you know, coming away with it. And it just, that just felt like it's such a Seattle game, right? You kind of sitting through the first part going, oh, this is nasty. And then it pops off and you're like, of course it went really weird. You know, that's just what the Seahawks do. And, you know, like you said, dynamism is the goal. It's the difference for an offense like Russell Wilson's dynamism with his feet and his arm like that. That was the difference for them is those few plays that he can make. When Trey Lance came in to start the third quarter because Jimmy was hurt um, and there's been some talk of, okay, is he going to start next week or not? Jimmy, after the game, said he'll probably be out for a few weeks. Kyle Shanahan today said, oh, he could start. So I'm still not entirely sure what the hell's going on there. But regardless, when Trey Lance came in the game, you know, that dynamism you're talking about with the Seahawks offense where everything could go wrong until all of a sudden it goes right. We saw a little bit of that with Trey Lance. And I'm not saying it was great all the time. There was a, there was a few balls that he threw that were not good at all. Like his first pass, you know, hit George Kittle in the ankles, basically. Um, and it, there's a funny story. Trey Lance, after the game, went up to Kittle and said, hey, next time I throw that kind of ball to you, just kick it back to me. Uh, but, you know, for every one of those not great passes. There was something that he did with his legs where he got out of pressure. You know, he made a play that Jimmy is physically incapable of making. There was that fourth and 10 late in the game where, again, he stepped up, sidestepped, and then kind of escaped and converted on fourth and 10. You know, he had a couple touchdown drives. Um, you know, there's a blown coverage with Debo, obviously, where it was like, hey, anybody can make that throw. And you're right. But it's the other stuff. It's it's the plays that not anybody can make that are really convincing me that Trey Lance needs to start. Whether or not Jimmy is quote-unquote healthy, Trey Lance needs to start because, again, he can do things that the other quarterbacks on this roster just can't. And, you know, Kyle Shanahan said, oh, well, the offense, like, we didn't, we, we didn't have a game plan for Trey Lance this week. So make one. <laughs> Make I'm so tired you have a unique athlete. Yeah. I'm, it's the same thing with Chicago where they're like, well, we didn't plan on Justin Fields. Okay. So make a make a plan. Like figure it out. Like you have zone read in the playbook, call it. You have bash in the playbook, call it. It's not like your players don't know how to execute it. You've practiced it before. Like draw it up on the dirt on the sideline if you need to. Like, how many times have we seen the Ravens come up with entirely new plays in the middle of the game where they've told a story where it's like Hey, we didn't have this in, but we put it in mid game because we saw we might, or, you know, the chiefs do the same thing. It's like, we didn't have this concept in there, went in at halftime because they showed us something. We put it in like, can you not adjust at all? You're Kyle Shanahan, like put something in that Trey Lance can, can take advantage of with his feet. I don't know. I just, the the whole, like, oh, we didn't create a game plan for him. It just bothered me because it's like, well, it's your job to make a game plan for him. 
This is all eerily similar to the exact same conversation that's happening in the middle of the country in Chicago, right? Because Jimmy G and Andy Dalton aren't really two different guys. They play a little bit differently, but their similarities are the same and they they provide you a stable level of offense and in Shanahan's offense, which, you know, to a point is Nagy's offense, at least when it's run well. Like you're going for the short throw, you're looking for yak, you're trying to create the sort of modern version of the West Coast. And, you know, Jimmy G can do that. Mandy Dalton can do that. What they can't do is what we saw, what you called out the traded or what we saw Justin Fields do early in the first quarter to Mooney, which is stand on his old goal line, be protected and go, oh, I got this and throw a 50 yard missile to Mooney online in stride away from the safety and you know every dc in the league is going to look at that throw and go "Uh oh (laughs) oh crap we can't play the same way like they're not going to play they're they're not going to call one defensive coverage for that or against that when dalton's in the game if dalton hits one of those all season he'll be lucky at basically no explosive plays in all the plays he's played for chicago Trey Lance, I mean, Trey Lance had explosive plays when he came in for San Francisco. Justin Fields' explosive play rate was like 20%. Yeah. Like four. It, it And it's off yak, by the way. This is, yeah, this is the way the game is played now. You cannot expect offenses to sustain typically 10, 11, 12, 13 play drives, those four and five yard runs I was talking about, moving the chain six and seven and eight times when you go down the field. Uh uh-uh. uh. You're talking about an eight or nine play drive, and one of those plays is 35 yards, 40 yards, 52 yards, 55 yards. And then you're going to make the rest of the plays because you're not going to be out there long enough to make a mistake. You can hold it together for eight or nine plays, but if the defense holds you out there for 11 or 13 or 14 plays and you're picking up three or four or five at a crack, you're, you're going to get a penalty. You're going to get a sack. You're going to get set back. You're not going to get any points. The numbers say if you do not have explosive plays, you are not going to get as many points. And if you don't have an explosive play in a drive, you're not likely to get any points. So having guys like Trey Lance and Justin Fields on the field is what you need to do. Are you going to have to deal with the rookie mistakes? Absolutely. We saw Justin make them, saw Trey Lance make them, hit people in the ankles. They're going to make the wrong decisions. Occasionally, they're going to make turnovers, but they're going to learn from that. And when they're out there, they're going to make those plays that Jimmy and Andy can't make. And it is incredibly frustrating for me to have both of these coaches say, ah, you know, if they're healthy, we're going with Jimmy and Andy, right? And it's like, do you not understand? And I know Kyle Shanahan understands. I'm not sure Nagy understands because he he sort of so is so stubborn against it, saying this element that will propel our offense to points, I'm going to keep it on the bench. And you're like, why? You don't like you said, you don't have it in any of your other quarterbacks. It's not like, oh, well, Andy's going to be out there and he's going to rip off a couple of 25 yard runs as well. So we're kind of getting the same thing. You're not. And it it frustrates me to no end to take that dynamism and put it on the bench because of, again, we didn't make a game plan. He's not ready. We know he's not ready. We know they're not ready. They're rookies. But you saw what Bill Lazor did for Justin as opposed to what Nagy didn't the week before. 
And that's a pretty effective game plan. Yeah, it's the Lions, and it's going to look better because of that. But you saw the dynamism, the balance. And I want Kyle to do the same thing for Trey, just like you do, because I think it's going to – that's the whole reason they went and got him, is because he's mm-hmm. not their offense. And if you bench him, you're not getting it. It's a not to compare the entire rookie class all at once, but look at Zach Wilson. Yeah, he throws picks. He throws a lot of picks. But – Against the Titans specifically, there was a few throws in that game where, I mean, they were jaw-dropping. I mean, he's he's on the move. He's flicking his wrist. He's throwing it 55 yards down the field. They were insane. <laughs> like, Zach Wilson made some utterly insane throws this week. But you can't make those throws from the bench. And I know that he makes mistakes. He's thrown some god awful picks. He came into the into the lead, into the week um, tied for the lead in picks thrown. I think he might still have it because he threw an, another one. Although to be fair, the one this week it was Corey Davis fell down. It wasn't really his fault, but again, it it'll show up in the stat sheet at the end of the year. He just there bad stuff tends to happen to Zach Wilson, but every once in a while he rips off one of these throws that you're just like. That's why he went number two. Yeah, that's what I want in San Francisco. They upgraded to BYU Zach Wilson this week. Uh, the, yeah. the go deep one, the schoolyard go deep one was every seventh grade Nerf football quarterback <laughs> dream, right? He goes out, he sees his guy, and he's like, get, I'll get it. And then he steps up into pressure and he doesn't throw that ball with great mechanics. Like he's kind of upright, a little bit straight, and he goes, and it goes 50 yards on a line to Corey. It's like, that's again, we talk about Russell Wilson being one of five guys like that particular throw. There's six or seven guys in the league that can make that throw from that platform. I, I've resisted doing the comparison, but again, from a physical talent ability, that throw like, tell me you don't see Aaron Rodgers make that throw where like you, you yep. barely even see the wrist move and the ball just flies. It's yeah. It rare. didn't look like if you look at just the mechanics on that throw, which is where the cameras panned on the TV angle, you think that's that. Why did he, why did he wave him deep? That ball's going to die at the 20, right? You can't, <laughs> you can't go like this and get it. 50 and it just yards. kept going. <laughs> and it, and it's a fairly flat ball. It is not a moonshot. And it just, powers that's the thing about zach when he gets outside the pocket that byu version we saw on tape he gets outside the pocket he sees somebody go deep throws from some god-awful angle crosses body on the run this was kind of a straight up you know flick with again not great base moving into pressure just a strange strange throw but the ball just moves when people talk about having a live arm or arm talent like that's what they're talking about is somebody that can make a throw like that from a not great platform the ball just keeps going and you're like it shouldn't but it does and trey lance has that kind of arm too which is why i want him on the field like come on kyle like uh, if not now when like jimmy g's quote-unquote hurt the offense wasn't working with him on the field. The only reason why you were even in the game against Green Bay is because you brought in Trey Lance on the goal line. And he got your first points that started to get you back into the game. You only played him like five snaps the entire season leading up to this game. And then he got thrown in, in the middle of it. 
with no practice reps, apparently no consideration for even how to use him because you said the game plan wasn't for him. And he still was able to kind of put some points on the board for you, keep it close. Like, if you're not going to start him now, you're just never going to start him. At least not this year. And I just, I'm so frustrated because he needs to be on the field. Yeah, I I think the benefits outweigh the downside. And obviously Kyle doesn't think that, at least by what he's saying. We'll see what he does in action. And and the same with Nagy. Nagy's saying, oh, Dalton's a starter if he's healthy. Yeah, let's let's listen to Nagy a little bit less and see what he does a little bit more. Um, it, you know, you hope that Trey comes out and puts up some good results. I think Trey's kind of right on that fence where he could go out and have some truly abysmal games because he is his his mistakes are really rough. They're kind of they're different than Zach Wilson's mistake, but they come in bunches like that and they look he he just doesn't look great. His highs are super high and his lows are really low. He could string together a couple of games that just really aren't great where it makes it very difficult to go, okay, this is better than a midline consistency Jimmy G with less variance. Um but you know the Chicago one, it's like if Justin has another game where he plays even half as well as he did against Detroit with a game plan that favors him, it's going to make it impossible. It's going to be the Justin Herbert thing from last year where Justin Herbert, it didn't matter how good Tyrod Taylor was going to be. By the time Tyrod Taylor was healthy last year, you, you couldn't pull just there was no discussion. It was like, look, man, we're, we're really sorry about the lung thing. It's terribly bad luck, but look at what's happening. Like nobody made that argument. Um, and I think Justin Fields could probably press it to that point where it's just, there's no more argument. I'm not sure Trey can yet. I, again, I still would put him on the field. I still want those development reps. That's how he's going to learn. You are going to get the high plays, but you're also I think, going to get a higher variance just because he had so much less starting experience than a guy like Justin in college. He just doesn't have so many reps under his belt. He has one full season in college. Um, so, but man, it's still tantalizing and, and we're not even talking about his running. I mean, he's a, he's a big dude. Like he is a big dude when he takes off. He is a force as a runner. Um, Zach Wilson can escape, but I would not call him a forceful runner. Uh, no, I'm not running QB power with Zach Wilson, but I'm definitely running it with Trey Lance. Yeah, a couple of times a game because the results are going to be really good. He's a very talented runner. So he does have, again, if you build that game plan, just like they built the game plan for Justin, that was very different than the week before. You build a very different game plan for him. I think you can limit some of that variance. And I hope that he just sort of, nails it shut just like you do and there's they they just can't take him off the field after three or four starts that would be ideal not i I don't think i'd lay folding money on that at this point just because of the the wishy-washy between but man do i want to see it just like you do this week's episode is sponsored by purple mattress purple mattress has been the most innovative sleep system on the market for over 15 years now and it's all because of their own unique patented technology the purple grid The Purple Grid has over 1,800 open-air channels to help keep you cool and comfortable as we kind of wind down with these hot summer nights and transition into fall. And also, unlike memory foam that remembers everything, the grid bounces back as you move and shift so that you never get that sort of I'm stuck kind of feeling like you do with memory foam. It's also highly flexible to relieve pressure on your body no matter your size and no matter how you prefer to sleep. 
It's a really awesome, innovative design. And once you try it out and you kind of see how it works for yourself, you'll really understand why so many people love it. So if you want to try it out for yourself, go to purple.com bootleg10 and use promo code bootleg10. And for a limited time with that code, you'll get 10% off of any Purple mattress order of $200 or more. Again, that is purple.com slash bootleg10, promo code bootleg10, for 10% off of any order of $200 or more. Terms and conditions, of course, apply. All right, uh, game number three here in our three-up segment. We specifically waited until after the Monday night game was over to record this week because we we kind of figured that, that we thought this game would probably end up there, and that was uh, Raiders versus Chargers. I won't say Raiders at Chargers because if we're being honest, it's more of a home game for the Raiders than for the Chargers. Uh, the Raider Nation's very strong down here in Los Angeles or rather in the Southern California area. So uh, that that was Justin Herbert's first real taste of what a quote-unquote home game against the Silver and Black actually looks like. But a uh, very entertaining game. I don't really think the final score maybe illustrates how close it was, particularly in the second half there. Like the Raiders came storming back after going down 21, nothing. They made it 21, 14. They had 14 unanswered points and it it really came down to like one drive where the Raiders stalled out uh, that, that kind of put the nail in the coffin. Then the chargers turned on the run game in the end and Eckler finished it off. But it, it was, (laughs) <laughs> it's kind of weird to, to say a 28-14 game was back and forth, but it really was back and forth. I thought it was uh, an excellent illustration of two very good teams in the AFC West that are not going to be pushovers and I think are every bit uh, the challenger to the Chiefs that we hoped they were going to be preseason. You could throw the Broncos in there too. I mean, they're 3-1 and one as well. All four of these AFC West teams have not disappointed at all and uh this was just a tremendous battle yeah when the Chargers went up when they got that extra score before the half it really felt like okay this is gonna be their game but the Raiders have been that second half team this year they have made their living in the second half and they didn't disappoint they did it again they fired it up like you said 14 unanswered They got a couple of stuffs. They sort of blunted what had been that very potent Chargers offense. And, you know, their fans, I was going to say the home fans, felt like the home fans. (laughs) The majority of fans in the stands fired up. They got loud. It started to feel like, oh, the worm is turning. The Raiders are going to take this. They're going to wash up over that first half Chargers success, and they're going to make this game their own. It was really good to see the Chargers, in my opinion, bow up and go, Nope, and get a stop and then start grinding out the run game. You talked about Austin Eckler, and he was fantastic down the stretch. But it was that offensive line really reclaiming the line of scrimmage because the Raiders came out in the beginning of the second half, and their defensive line started wreaking havoc. They have a very talented defensive line. We've seen it over the first three weeks. We got to see it in person week one. And they said, nope. We're not going to let you do this anymore. And then the Chargers, like watching two wrestlers, right? Nope. Chargers reversal back on top, sort of asserted their will, pressed the Raiders into the mat. Austin Eckler finished it off. That was just a really good response from Staley's team to say, nope, 
we're not we're not just gonna have you you know we're gonna take some punches and then we're gonna stand back up and we're gonna punch back you know we're gonna finish games it was really impressive by the chargers that has been the sort of nail in the coffin for the chargers in how many seasons right they sprint out to big leads either whether it's in the first half of the season or first half of games and then down the stretch they lose in what we've come to know as chargers fashions that was such a chargers loss is something we would have said in years this game was setting up to be another one of those right and i'm sure if you're a chargers fan you were sitting at home going oh no i know how this ends (laughs) don't do it to me and instead you got to see your team Buckle up, say, nope, we're going to we're going to go old fashioned here. We're going to reclaim the line of scrimmage. We're going to grind out some runs. We're going to get some actually some explosive runs towards the end and really put this thing out of reach. And that is a very non chargers thing to do. That is a sort of changing of the guard win for them in that case. And I'd love to see them carry that forward. Um, under their new coaching staff and sort of sweep away those old memories of all these super talented teams that sprinted out to leads and couldn't hold them. I, I found two things really interesting that kind of, not just the fact that they closed this game out. And for a while, we definitely did not think they were going to close this game out because we're so used to the chargers not closing games out, but what kind of signal signaled to me that this was a new era of chargers football was that justin herbert didn't really have his best game there were a lot of deep shots that were missed and i mean by not just inches but feet like he he missed on off the top of my head three deep balls that really could have busted this game wide open and it just felt like the chargers early on in the second half just couldn't couldn't fully get control because of those missed shots that they've at times become a little bit dependent on We've talked about how explosive offenses tend to be more productive overall. Well, yeah, they, they're so used to getting those 50-yard shots and they get into hurry up and then Eckler starts pounding and that's how they score is they get the chunks and then they finish it. They couldn't do that in this game, so they had to lean on other things. They had to lean on their tight ends. They had to lean on Eckler, but they also had to lean on their defense. And uh, there was a couple plays. One was uh, a, a, a loss on a rep. It was Hunter Renfro down in the red zone one-on-one and he kind of ran that quadruple move route that he's come to be known for where it's like it's a stop and then he's like faking a return outside then he pivot it's i don't even know what they call they were saying it's a china route in the broadcast it's not a china route like china route's different than that like it it might start out that way but there's still two moves on top of that that sends it's like it's like the china special (laughs) yeah it's it's a it's a really hokey route that's that's they've run a lot down in the red zone and, and Renfro has a few different versions of it and they've, they've got a few touchdowns on it so far. Cooper cup got a touchdown on it last week as well against the bucks. And so they hit that again for the score to try to get things rolling, made it 21 seven. And so then we get into a, a crucial third down late in the game. This was after they hit a bomb to rugs against quarters where rugs just crossed Derwin James face. And once he, once he crosses your face, it's over because he runs 4-2-1 or whatever it is. So they get down there. It's third down. They really need this drive to keep going, to have a shot to stay in this game, because they're trying to even up the score and time's running out. And what do they do? They bracket Renfro. They play one double jersey number, God's favorite coverage. 
where it's cover one and you pick their biggest threat and you bracket him inside and out and say, you're not going to beat us. We'll take our chances with everybody else. It's third and Renfro. They bracket Hunter. They play one double. They're leaving Darren Waller on an island. They're leaving Ruggs on an island. They're leaving everybody on an island except for Hunter Renfro. Derek Carr is looking at Hunter. Hunter's bracketed. He kind of pulls up and goes, whoa, didn't expect that. Hunter's running an option route. I need him to be open. He's not open. Oh, crap. All of a sudden, pocket closes in, takes a sack, punt, drive over. And from there, the Chargers finish it off. Like that that adjustment where they realize that whenever a play needs to be made, they're going to go to Hunter Renfro, and they bracketed him instead of all the other weapons on the team, that won them the game. And that tells me this is a new Chargers team. They identify things that are hurting them and they fix them in the middle of a game so that they can win. Yeah, Staley's adjustment, I tweeted it out when he did it that I just called it a double mug because, yeah, they lined him up inside and out and we're like, nope. And I was surprised how surprised Carr was at that. Everybody's talking about Derek Carr's maturation through the early season is quick decision making like he saw the double coverage you could see it from the sky cam angle he saw the double coverage and he like literally pulled the ball up to the middle of his chest and was like oh like that was his response to him being covered not okay i'm on to my next read right he just went ah and he just stood there for about half a second then he got sacked he fully expected that to be there and staley and staff said nope we're not giving you that. Like you said, take anything else on the table. And he didn't even look at anything else on the table because he was so shocked that option wasn't there. You know, if it was me drawing it up, I, I think I'd still run that route more for eye candy than anything else. You want to double it up? I'll go one-on-one to Waller. I'll run a I'll run a middle fade or post to Waller. Like, I'll take my chances with Darren Waller because he's probably going to win a one-on-one coverage. Um but I was I was a little bit surprised by that, and it is it's great to see Staley going. Nah, we're not we're not going to give you the easy ones, right? You may get us on a couple of them, but it's not going to be we're going to be in the second game of the series in the season, and you're going to be running the same stuff from the first quarter of the first game, and you're still getting it. Like, nope, sorry, do not pass go, do not collect two hundred bucks, and that's going to make this a very different Chargers team. Also, want to call out Jerry Tillery, a guy that had been sort of just a wall uh, on the Chargers stat sheet for a long time been getting pushed around and not having great games hit a couple of big plays this game uh, he was active throughout the whole game um, and the Chargers defense as a whole they they gave the Raiders protection fits like early in the game they had the Raiders protection solved they knew where to bring pressure to get guys to guess wrong and they were getting free rushers and that's uh, again when you see a defensive coordinator who can do that who can create free rush pressure even if they're not getting the sacks if they're getting good pressures it counts as much or more and they were getting good pressure early on which is part of the reason the raiders couldn't score in the first half is because they had their protection solved the raiders bucked up a little bit again really in that third quarter and started to get some of that dialed up but again the Chargers didn't stop iterating they kept changing, changed the back end coverage, ended up getting a crucial stop and then grinding it out for the win. And that is uh, that is not chargering. Chargering was a verb for a long time. And, and chargering is going to mean something very different if they keep playing like this. Uh, we can't talk about this game, by the way, 
if I don't also give props to Hunter Renfro for making uh, one of the best plays you're going to see any phase, any position of the entire season. Yeah. I'll set the stage for you. Raiders defense bows up. They force a punt. Somehow the Raiders only end, end up with 10 guys on the field on a punt return. And the Chargers have an automatic check where if one of the gunners isn't covered, they just kind of look at each other and say, hey, buddy, throw it to me. And the punter has full authority to just take the ball, throw it to the uncovered gunner. Hunter Renfro is out there as a returner, and he's doing his count and everything like that. And he's like, seven, eight, nine, ten. Wait a minute. <laughs> seven, eight, nine, ten, open. <laughs> Where's your guy? And so Hunter is like, uh, I'm going to creep down here because I'm pretty sure that's not supposed to happen. And he's very suspicious that like something like that they have a check for a throw here. And he kind of is like floating in between. And as soon as the punter like just raises the ball, he's like, I'm driving. And he looks like a, a DB, like doing a T-step and driving on this thing and breaking up the throw uh, just short of the sticks. Like even if it was caught, it would have been short of the sticks. And he makes a beautiful form tackle. Like if, you would swear that he plays safety. That's how beautiful this tackle in PBU was. And it was just such a heads-up play for him to look at this guy and realize, wait a minute, we're messed up here. We don't have a dude over there. This doesn't smell right. And for him to just drive on that and just the instincts it takes to drive on that, let alone finish the play, shout-out to Hunter Renfro. I mean, that... Like, I know they lost, but if they won that game, that would have been one of the plays that you would highlight to say that's why they won. Feels like he was, like, rooming with Tanner Muse or something, right? <laughs> a couple of Clemson guys hanging out and like, hey, Tanner, how would you play that? And Tanner was like, oh, you do this. And I know Tanner's not a Raider anymore. I get that. But, like, it looked like he'd been hanging out in the defensive you know, the defensive backs meeting room, because that was the kind of, you know, click and close trigger and shot that he laid on. It was just short of the sticks. Dislodges the ball. Like there was a lot of people popping up on Twitter saying he tackles better than, you know, half the safeties in the NFL. And they're not wrong. I kind of want to replay that hit for Eddie Jackson, who said, oh, man, everybody can tackle. But turnovers is what you want. I'm like, hey, Eddie, he tackled and he got the turnover. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that, that counts. <laughs> yeah, do that. So, um, no, it was it was a super impressive play, made all the more impressive by the situation, the heads up nature of it, the sort of instant trigger, the tackle, the combination. It's just a fantastic play. One of the one of the top plays in the NFL this year, just because of everything all put together. Um, tremendous stuff. So, lots of fun there. So, overall, uh, great showing by the Chargers admirable showing by the Raiders, even though they lost by two possessions. Uh, I am eagerly awaiting the rematch because not going to lie, I feel like it could very easily go the other way, just like our first game in three up. I, I think that this absolutely could go the other way next time they play in Vegas. Um, let's get to three down now. These are three teams, players, coaches, what have you, that did not have a great week four. And I, I feel like, yes, the Dolphins are in a worse spot than, than before because of the Tua injury, but I also acknowledge that I vastly underestimated how terrible their offensive line was going to be. And as much as I love their defense, as much as I love Flores, as much as I think Tua, when he gets back, can be a very effective quarterback for them, like 
the injuries and the offensive line futility. Like I just don't see the Dolphins crawling out of this hole. Like I I I don't expect them to to start off any better than one and four. And once you're one and four in that division behind Buffalo, um, the Patriots are looking good. Like even the Jets have shown some flashes of getting better. Like I I don't know, man. I don't think they can get out of this hole. And I kind of almost feel like their season's dead on arrival, which is tragic to me because they're such a talented team. But I, I just don't see it. Yeah, this is a talented team. It's a talented organization. Uh, we both like Flores. Um, Chris Gears put together a very good roster. There's, you know, this was their year. Like the last couple of years have been building towards this year. You got your quarterback in place. You got your high pick that you can spend on a playmaker. You go get Waddle. Like you've got a bunch of pieces on defense. We saw that defense get creative and come in waves last year and, and play people really tough. The offense wasn't quite up to snuff. It, it felt like they were a couple of moves away. So that puts them squarely at this season and they come out of the gate one and three to us hurt. The offensive line's playing terrible. This is a very talented team with not very many answers. Buffalo is set to liquefy right now. They're just mashing people <laughs> off the field. The Patriots are playing tough and are going to be a tough out. That's always the case with Belichick. And he, again, got to reload, spent a billion dollars in free agency. And, you know, that team is coming together. Is it a guaranteed win? No, but is it, you know, I would say an over just over 500 team at least. Yeah. And that puts them kind of right above the Dolphins it means you're the third team in your division. If you think you could beat the Jets which isn't, like you said, a guaranteed thing. I think probably they would on a neutral field today, but I'm not sure, and I wouldn't bet on it. So that puts you in a hole to start if you're 1-3. and three, Like you said, if you go to 1-4 and four and you're the third team in your division and winning your division is the sort of easiest key to get out, I don't see them doing it this year. It would take, I'm not going to say a miracle because it's just short of that, but they would have to have a ridiculously serious turnaround and they would definitely have to get more production out of that offensive line. And I, I just don't feel confident about that. The deck feels very stacked against Miami and that's not at all the way we felt a month ago. Uh, and that is, you know, you use the word tragic. I, yeah, it's really unfortunate. There were a lot of expectations and expectations are heavy to carry in the NFL. It's not easy to win on, on any Sunday and the Dolphins have sort of dug their own pit here, and they're going to have to work really hard and get a little bit lucky if they're going to get out of it this season. To to put in context, statistically, how bad their offensive line has been, by the way, I mean, it would be hard for any quarterback to succeed, let alone a backup like Jacoby Brissett. They're 26th in adjusted line yards generated on the ground, mm. meaning like average number of yards per carry that, your your offensive line is reasonably helping with it's not just you know the back creating everything by themselves um they're 31st in short yardage success rate so any carry like third and two goal line fourth and two uh, any of those kind of carries or shorter 31st in conversion success rate they are bottom 10 in adjusted sack rate allowed and they're tied for third in total number of sacks allowed at 10. Like it's, it's bad. 
it's really bad. And what's what's disappointing to me is they've invested a lot of resources in guys that we liked coming out in the draft. Like I I liked Eichenberg. Like Austin Jackson, he was very athletic. I understand he was super raw, super young, but I, I saw the athletic upside, but he just has not developed. Um, you know, the interior's been collapsing. Like it's it's just bad. Like there's not even just a weak point, it's a weak everything. And, you know, there's only so much that a quarterback and skill position players can do when each play is lasting three quarters of a second and anything longer than that's getting blown up. Yeah, and organizationally, this is where you see the pieces. The plan was to fit them together a certain way. And when one piece of that plan doesn't work, the rest of it falls down. They didn't invest in running backs because they planned on having a very good, very skilled, very physical offensive line. So they got Gaskin, who's good, but again, not a high investment back and not a guy who's going to create a ton of yards on his own. He's going to get good yards that are blocked and and use a little bit of speed to pop some extra. Solvent Almond, the same thing, a lot of speed, some shiftiness. But if he's getting hit in the backfield, he's not a guy that's going to create yards on his own. So they didn't go out and invest heavily in a running back. They, organizationally, they said, we're going to put that money into other places, uh, into the corners, into the offensive line, into some of the wide receivers. And then the offensive line collapses, and you don't have any guys that can just kind of make that crazy 35-yard play, breaking three tackles on their own. You're getting guys like Miles Gaskin and Salvin Ahmed hitting the backfield, and that is a non-starter. You're you're not going anywhere. Yeah, it's not like Javante Williams, who had a a play that we'll talk about later in the game where it's or later in the episode where it's like he gets hit and it doesn't matter, and then he gets hit again and it doesn't matter, and then he's got three guys on him and it doesn't matter because he's getting 10 more yards and like they didn't block shit, but he's still getting 20 yards on the carry. Like they like you said, they don't have that guy. Um Three down number two, speaking of bad offenses, I feel like we're just going to keep talking about the Steelers every week because it's it's a hopeless situation. Um, like, again, I very easily could have highlighted the Texans here, but I, I wanted to highlight the Steelers instead because it's not the same as the Texans where, like, the entire organization is a tire fire. It's one specific thing with the Steelers, and it's a very old – very slow, very, um, let's just say his arm isn't there Yeah. type quarterback. And it's it's holding them back. And I don't want people to blame the offensive line because they say, oh, we can't run the ball. We can't pass protect. You can't run the ball because you're getting eight in the box every single play. They're doing one man, one gap every single time. They are flying upfield because they know your only shot is running the ball with Najee Harris. And I'm sorry, I don't care how good of an offensive line you are. If you're out gapped on every single play because they're dropping dudes down, they don't respect the pass game. You're not going to run the ball anyway. We've seen good offensive lines get completely out gapped and not be able to run because people don't respect the pass game. In terms of pass protection, they're like top 11 in adjusted sack rate. The offensive line isn't the problem. It's the quarterback. And, you know, when I look at Big Ben, like, 23rd among starting quarterbacks in deep ball attempt rate. And he's his success rate on those deep balls is very low. Like, yeah, he hit one to Deontay Johnson this week, but like that's the fact that we look at that and we say, oh my God, it does exist is, is a pretty good indicator of, of where their deep passing game is right now. So they've got nothing. 
They have no explosive potential. They can't run the ball because nobody respects the pass game at all. Like the whole modern, you know, involve the quarterback in the run game type stuff that so many offenses are leaning on. That's out the window. You can't do that with Big Ben. So it's like, what do you do offensively in this situation? And to me, it's get a new quarterback. Like, I know it's tough to to put Ben out to pasture right now, but you got to do it. Like season's on the line here. You, you cannot keep dropping games for the sake of Ben's legacy because right now Ben's legacy is it's worthless. It's not going to win you games. Yeah, it's certainly not going to in the meritocracy of the NFL. Big Ben's currency isn't worth anything. And the reason I put them on the three down list this week is because they made this bet in the middle of last year. They saw the end of last year. They saw Ben start to fade heavily down the stretch, as many veteran quarterbacks do in the later part of the season. Their arm falls off. They're not able to push the ball down the field. And they had a a very good multi-game preview of what this was going to look like. And instead of saying, whoop, it's time, right? We we have a lot of loyalty to Ben. Ben's been amazing for this organization. We're going to we're going to sunset him in a very honorable way. They went, nope, we're going to push all these chips into the middle of the table and think we can just run it back, right? That was their strategy. They didn't draft anybody. They didn't get anybody in free agency. And I don't want to hear about Haskins. Like, no, they, they have no viable option. They have no succession plan. They, they doubled down on Ben after what they saw last year. They made this bet last year, not this year. They made this bet last year for this year. And they quite frankly, deserve it at this point. This is not a surprise. This is not like, oh, he got in a motorcycle accident over the summer and now he's hurt. Like they saw the preview late last year of what this was going to look like. And it happened faster than they thought it might. I, I would hope <laughs> because if they were planning on this, they, they're just negligent uh, even more so. But they didn't even hedge their bet, right? They didn't take a little bit of those chips and pull them back and say, well, we're going to draft a guy in the third round or we're going to go get a free agent. You know, we're going to get in on somebody like Andy Dalton, uh, somebody that, you know, it's Patrick, somebody like that that's going to be able to carry the load if Ben gets hurt, goes down, can't throw, right? That's going to give us a viable option because, again, they're full of skill position players. Their offensive line is talented, and again, given a threat of a pass, again, those those meshing of the phases, right? Give Najee some breathing room if you're going to spend a first round pick on him. And again, you take that linchpin and it just snaps within the first you know, week of the season. He looked terrible in week one. It's like, oh, I'm sure there were some people looking at that film that were like, oh, man, we put all those chips out there. We're not getting any of them back. Like this is over. And we don't have anything over here. There is no what's behind door number two. What's behind door number two is the poo-poo platter of the week. You don't you don't have a succession plan at quarterback, and it's going to sink a very talented team. And there's nowhere to turn midseason unless they do something very unsteelers like and and go all in at the trade deadline for somebody average. And that is so anti Steelers, Mike Tomlin. Like I I would be well. St- but they people, have to. Like, people are that's floating a theory, which people is are floating a theory. Oh yeah, for the trade deadline, Deshaun Watson. I, I, I don't think I'm the. Steelers I'm not saying it's away. a good idea. I'm just saying people are. Oh sure, people desperation are it out there. 
makes some very interesting things happen. I could see them going for mid-level starter backup. I can't see them selling out for Deshaun Watson, given the situation and the Steelers' legacy is kind of an NFL cornerstone franchise. I just don't see them doing that. Like that seems like a, a massive short sell, right? You're gonna you're gonna pour assets to the Texans and and you take on a huge liability uh that is you know boom or bust huge huge boom huge bust potential i just don't see them doing the, it the the pick protections would have to be enormous yeah and i don't think the texans have already kind of uh reached a level of irrationality at least in the press about what they're asking for watson that they're not gonna they're not gonna say give me less because you're Pittsburgh. Like they're gonna be give me more because it's Deshaun well, Watson. Well, and and Pittsburgh is gonna have to say like we'll give you all this, but if not to be too much of a downer, but it's like if there's an indictment, you get yeah, nothing. But Texans <laughs> would never do it. They're they I know they have not approached reality in their demands at all. So I just I just don't see that as an option, and that leaves you with going after somebody that's got you know the one that I heard last week, I don't know, maybe even we floated it. I lose track was Jimmy G. I think you said it last week. It yeah, like, I did. You know? Yeah. Like Jimmy G. But, na- but now Jimmy's hurt. So it's like, well, yeah, but he's not, he's not like ACL blown hurt. He's got a calf strain. It's going to keep him out three weeks, which strangely enough takes him right about to the trade deadline. So maybe you yeah. can buy a little bit low on Jimmy G. Maybe Trey lights it up and they're not so sad to get the locker room unified in that going in that direction under the rookie maybe you get a at least a fair value and you don't get soaked because you're so needy and everybody knows it like every general manager in the nfl knows right now that pittsburgh is sunk until they get something behind center and they don't have anything they don't they don't have any answers there they're gonna struggle and and probably come in last in their division if they don't change that everybody knows that pittsburgh knows that it's no secret right so if you can break even or pay a small premium for a guy like Jimmy G that again would probably unlock that offense, that, that seems like the answer short of that. What are you going to do? They don't, they don't have anything. And it's not like functional starting quarterbacks are just, you know, growing on trees and they can just go out and scrape a couple up in a tryout. It's not going to happen. You can draft Malik Willis. Yeah, but that's that's just <laughs> cash in the season. And at that point, obviously, you don't trade any assets. Oh, I don't say, think they're going to have a choice. I think if Ben's the start of the entire year, they're going to have the pick to get Malik Willis. Uh, I agree. I agree. But that that's really that's a tough sell on game. Like we just finished game four and it's a 17 game season. Now you're going to say, OK, we're for the next 13 games slash 14 weeks. You're going to have to be hopeless. Bear with us. It's it would be a very new position for Steelers fans to be in to be rooting for an objectively bad team like they've rooted for okay teams like I've I've seen them live a couple years ago. I went out to to the Steelers uh, to Pittsburgh to Heinz Field to, to see them take on the Rams and their offense was hopeless, but their defense and their special teams were so damn good that they were still an average football team like I've seen quote unquote bad Steeler teams before by their standards, but this could be worse. And Steelers fans have not had to deal with that ever in the Mike Tomlin era, an objectively bad football team. So 
We'll see. <laughs> we'll see if they make a trade. Again, I'm not saying it's a good idea to trade for Deshaun Watson. No. Lord knows. Again, I, as a Texans fan, am actively saying that's probably a bad idea for a lot of reasons. But I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah. Um, but on a slightly <laughs> more positive note, which is saying a lot. Yeah. Uh, three down, number three, Furious Fangio. Vic Fangio is heated after playing against the Ravens because they had the audacity to run the ball with three seconds left to keep their 100-yard streak alive. Keep in mind, after the Broncos were using timeouts and trying to get a last-second touchdown uh, uh-huh. in complete garbage time when the game was totally out of hand. So... A little bit of pot pot calling the kettle black, whatever the phrase is, uh, of like, oh, they don't care about player safety. They were extending the game longer than they needed to. Yeah, the Broncos kind of were too. Um, I just found it interesting. And the the quote that Vic Fangio used said he was, it was kind of bullshit. His words, not mine. Um, But that he expected nothing less from the Ravens because that's what they're about and that they don't care about player safety. This was wildly disingenuous i and coaches say a lot of things to say my team got disrespected uh fangio went on to say that he has never seen anything like this in his 37 years of coaching in the nfl to which i say that's kind of bullshit that's actually bullshit in its own right you've seen far worse Vic. 37 years is a long time in the NFL. You've seen some absolutely Bush League crap. And this was not that. And for you to sort of drum up hyperbole and say, oh, I expected this from the Ravens and this is embarrassing. Like, you know, maybe, maybe stop the run. Like, and then you don't have to stand up at the podium and say how unsportsmanlike they were. Come on. Uh, you know, this isn't like they were cut blocking people. It was pretty much the the least impactful run. Like this is a standing two hand touch block, and you know Lamar pulls up after four yards and kind of goes out of bounds. Like this was not like, hey, let's go batter some heads and break people and and anti player safety. And for you to kind of try and gin that up into some storm is you being a little bit little bit embarrassed that your defense got gashed for hundred yards and not much else. Like to stand up there and say this is the worst thing or that the Ravens are Bush League for pulling it off. I think most folks uh, that cover the NFL, including Greasy on Monday Night Football, was like, I don't hold anything against the Ravens at all. Like, this is totally fine. This is not a problem, Um, I think, is the prevailing wisdom. And this is just a little bit of Vic sort of blowing smoke because he's, you know, he's frankly a little pissed off that his guys got rolled on the ground. Um, That's that. Uh, and people were were saying that they were they were comparing it to uh, those Greg Schiano teams where they would like attack the uh, kneel down and it's like it's not the same thing. That's a kneel down with and that was psychotic. That was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's not it's not the same. Like they no. again, as you say, no there way. were no cut blocks. There were no cut blocks. There were no double teams. They were not moving guys with line of scrimmage. It just looked like an escort of five bodies in front of Lamar running casually, taking a stroll through the park for four yards. And then he just went down. There was barely any contact. Like 
are are we playing football here? Like, come on. I don't know. It just yeah, the the feigned yeah, I, I outrage. I love Vicencio, but he was yeah. just he was just mad. He was just yeah. Mad. The feigned outrage was the part that really I was like, oh really, Vic? Really? You've never seen anything worse in almost four decades in the NFL. <laughs> You've seen things that could be booked as like outright aggravated assault. Don't tell me that this is there were worse things in things. that game. Did you see the hit on Teddy? Like that's what you can be mad about. It, it, I just it just felt like I'm embarrassed and. Uh, so what I'm going to do to manifest that is to stand up here and blame the other guy for being what in the context of professional football is completely reasonable. All right, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, and I don't I don't really think many people were buying it either. You know, it's just it's football. Come on. Today's episode is sponsored by Mac Weldon. Mack Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart designs and all of the high-quality fabrics that make up their daily wear system. The daily wear system is a selection of clothes that are all built to work together in any combination you want, whether it's their breathable t-shirts and polos or their stylish button-ups and shirts to, of course, underwear and beyond. Mack Weldon makes it easy for you to dress for work, leisure, or play with staples like their tailored A sweatshorts that pair well with their ultra soft Pima tees. Or if you're getting ready to start traveling again like I am, you can use their silver knit polo and radius shorts that are the perfect high tech but also highly packable combo. And by the way, I have the Ace Half Zip and I've had it for well over a year now and I still wear it all the time. Could not recommend it enough. It's extremely comfortable and worth every single penny. So if you want to try anything from the Mack Weldon Daily Wear system, you can get 20% off your first order at MacWeldon.com bootleg, promo code bootleg. And again, that will give you 20% off your order. Once more, that is MacWeldon.com bootleg, promo code bootleg, Mac Weldon, radically efficient wardrobing. All right, uh, let's get to three interesting. Now, these are three teams, games, coaches, players, whatever, that we just found fascinating for any given reason. Uh, and three interesting, number one, is Tom Brady's return to Foxborough. We could not go this entire show without talking about it at least a little bit. I'm sure you've heard about it ad nauseum, which is why we didn't put it in three up, because... Everybody's talked about that game. You don't need another recap of it. You probably watched it yourself. Pretty much everybody watched it. Uh, but what I found interesting about that game is we went into it thinking it was going to be an absolute stomp, and it wasn't. It was actually a very competitive game for the entire time. The Patriots' defense, I thought, played out of their minds. Uh, the special teams, um, I thought, put on a good performance overall. And, and Mac Jones was steady Eddie. You know, people criticized him for basically not throwing deep at all in this game. And, and you know, I don't want to say being a check down Charlie, but it was very much a, uh, I understand that they have some really talented defensive linemen. Once I hit that back step in my drop, ball's got to be out. And he got the ball out to his credit at one point, completing 19 passes in a row, which is, that's really impressive for, any quarterback, let alone a rookie quarterback. So, you know, people can talk shit about, you know, not going deep and anything like that. But I think that was more of a necessity than just being hamstrung by the offense. Like this is, this is not to me the same as like Andy Dalton having a, a 4.2 yard average depth of target. It's, it's not the same as, you know, Ben being completely incapable of throwing deep. We know Mac Jones can throw deep if he wants to. 
It's just the necessity of the game plan and the opponent he was playing. He couldn't like he literally just had to sit there and third step, get the ball out. And he did. He was efficient. He kept them in the game. Uh, to be honest, if they went for it on fourth and three, I think they very easily could have got it and made that last field goal a little bit easier. And they potentially could have won that game solely because of Mac Jones being efficient and just keeping the offense alive and moving. Um, it was uh, it was a surprisingly competitive and therefore entertaining game to me. And all the credit in the world for Mac Jones for being not the reason they lost. Mac was a revelation in this game, and it's not because he played an extraordinary football game. He didn't. But I love that we're sitting here comparing Mac Jones to guys like Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton's been in the league over a decade. <laughs> Mac Jones is starting his fourth professional football game. And people are like, but he didn't take advantage of the hurt corners, and he didn't do what Andy Dalton would have done. I'm like, no shit. This guy's a rookie. He's in his fourth start versus the greatest quarterback of all time and a very aggressive defense. Yes, they had, you know, some corner depth problems. He played a really good, solid game. He he played within the system. He wasn't the reason they lost. He didn't turn the ball over. He played within himself. He played an extremely steady and therefore, given the circumstances, his fourth professional start against a very good team a really good game. They're in the game at the very end, which is what you ask any professional quarterback to do. Nonetheless, one that started for less than a month in the NFL in the rain uh, with all the drama surrounding Tom coming home. Mac Jones, not at all swayed by that moment plays within himself, plays quick, doesn't try and do too much. Doesn't lose the game for him. That's a tremendous performance for a guy in his fourth professional start. And yes, he played at Alabama, and you can say what you want about them being professional. He is well-prepared, absolutely. He did great, right? Can he play a lot better as a quarterback? Yeah. Can he play a lot better as a quarterback in that particular situation? No, he really can't, given that it's his fourth professional start. So, you know, I thought that was was really interesting. Patriots defense, again, Bill Belichick is the best at defensive game planning. He, better than anybody, knows exactly what Tom can bring. They were, I would say, generally outmatched if you just kind of stack up Tampa's offensive talent and the Patriots defensive talent. And again, they played them to a draw. That's a really impressive coaching job. It's a really, you know, an effort performance by the defense to come through on all those assignments. Um really it turned out to be a worthwhile game to watch and we didn't think it was going to be um you know great thing tom gets to come away with the win uh again fascinating but man i couldn't i couldn't be higher on mac jones given all that he had to go through to deliver that performance he's just going to get better if he can handle that much smoke like that's about as much smoke as you can throw at somebody in their first month. And he was not flawless, but very, very solid. I just, I just found the narrative interesting of like, well, why didn't he take advantage of their injured corners? You know, Richard Sherman's been on the couch for six months. Yeah, I get that, but he's not out there throwing a DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Like his number one receiver is Jacoby Myers. His best deep threat is 
I guess Nelson Aguilar. Like, who's he going deep with? Kendrick Bourne? It's yeah. it's not the same kind of receiver talent. I know they have hurt corners, but again, his best receiver in terms of stretching the field is probably Nelson Aguilar, who's a above average, I would say, deep threat, but not like a game-breaking one where it's like, oh my God, if he's one-on-one, we have to take our shot. Like he's not gonna win every time, like say Prime Julio or DK when when he's singled up and he's just going, or uh, you know, Tyreek Hill. Like it's not the same level of talent. So I I yeah, I'm fine with what they were doing. Yeah. Again, it's not comparable to Dalton and Ben because we know Matt can go deep. He was the most efficient deep ball passer in all of college football last year when he had actual wide receivers. He doesn't have a great receiving court, even with all the money they've spent. He still doesn't have a great receiving core in New England. He has an okay one, but they're built for that being efficient, quick game, you know, being really smart and kind of, reading zone coverage and settling in between zones and just getting open and generating completions and completions and completions and moving the offense. That's what they do. You're you're talking about matriculating down the field. Exactly. Um, No. And people treat it like it was a dome game under the lights. Like it was freaking pouring. Like it was soaking. The balls were soaked. The field was slick, like lousiest conditions you could have besides probably blizzard. To try and go deep. And people are like, yeah, rookie, whip it up. And you're like, ah, it's just, (laughs) there are a lot of factors here. I'm not making excuses. I'm saying, despite all those circumstances, a guy in his fourth start played Tom Brady to a stalemate. That's that's really good. So we'll we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. So I, you know, solid win for the Patriots because I, or sorry. So I'm so used to Tom Brady winning the Patriots game. Solid win for the Bucks, yeah. Um, because I do think the Patriots are a better team than, than people realize, and also a uh, solid moral victory for the Patriots because it was a very emotional night. They hung in there, um, and they didn't wilt. I, I think they they went blow for blow with the champs and, and acquitted themselves quite nicely. And I think they proved that they are a real team this year. Like, I, I think I'd probably in a neutral side game, I'd probably take the Patriots over half the league right now because I I just I think they're they're, they're a good football team. Um, three interesting number two, somebody who I have no idea what to make of right now is the Tennessee Titans. Cause you look at their resume and they played a great team in Arizona and got absolutely crushed. Um, we watched them live against Seattle, another team where it's, we think they're good. We're, we're still not entirely sure what Seattle is yet, because again, they're so streaky talked a little bit about that in three up where it's like they're nothing and then they explode and then they go back to nothing again. So we don't really know what the what Seattle is, but they got a nail biter win in OT against them. They got a solid win over a not great football team in the Colts. And then they lost an OT to the jets when they got banged up and they lost Julio and they lost AJ Brown and, you know, Taylor Lewan's going to be banged up probably this entire season. You know, he'll play some weeks. He'll he might sit out some weeks, but I, I don't think that knee issue is going away. Um, Caleb Farley was out like it's a banged up team that you would still think would have the advantage over the Jets, but they're still losing that game anyway. So I I don't know what to make of them because the best team they played blew them out. They had a couple wins against teams that either we know they're not very good or we're not sure if they're good at all. And then they dropped one to 
to the Jets, who are not a very good team. So how much of this is injuries? How much of it is maybe the Titans are good and and maybe they're not good? I, I honestly can't figure them out. Now, the reason I included him here is because this is like a betting nightmare, right? What do you do with the Titans? You look at this resume and you say, okay, here's a team that lost its, you know, savant offensive coordinator. He's now the head coach in Atlanta. We didn't know how much that was going to shift what they did or how they did it or how good they were at doing it, right? They come out, play Arizona. We talked about Arizona at the top of the show. Legitimately great team, undefeated, just smashed a Rams team, which everybody figures in the top five in the NFL. So, sure, okay, that's a court of sort of expected loss in week one. The Seattle game was crazy. I I give the Titans a nod in that one because they were on the road. They shouldn't have won that game. They took a couple big shots from Russell Wilson. They came back. They kept running the ball. They stayed with their philosophy. They won the game. Okay, that's that's a plus. So we got a, a, a kind of expected minus and a plus. And then they go to the Colts. And they take care of business. Okay, win the games you should on your schedule. I'll give that a, a small plus, a little plus, right? A light plus. And then they go to the Jets. Injuries are not. The Jets are a bottom five football team in the NFL, and they lose again in OT. <laughs> so right down the line, but the variance is incredibly small. And if you ask me next week, okay, week five, I don't care. I don't even know at this point who the Titans are playing because I can't remember. doesn't matter. You say, so what are you going to bet on the Titans? And my answer is I'm not going near the Titans because I have no idea who they are, what they're going to bring week to week. And I don't think anybody else does either. They're just this sort of, oh, God. Oh, God. You looked it up. They're playing the Jaguars. Trap game. <laughs> this this feels like such a fucking trap. Yeah, trap game. It's the Admiral Akbar gif. It's a trap. Uh, I, like I just, the, it, the Jags are a dumpster fire right now, especially with everything going on with Urban Meyer and all that. This feels like such a fucking trap. I'm, I'm with you. It. I just don't normally we're like, look, we said in our preseason divisional preview, look, they're a power team put together. They've got a solid plan. Vrabel is 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 coaching a mentality into that team. They've added some firepower. They still have Derrick Henry, who is easily the most productive running back in football. Yeah, they're going to be OK. And I sort of look at this first quarter resume, roughly first quarter resume and go, uh, are, are they are they <laughs> like, I'm not sure about that. So they're just the sort of biggest question mark going. They could be great. They could level out, hit their stride and rip off five straight wins. I wouldn't be surprised. They could go two and three through their next five games. I wouldn't be surprised. And I still probably wouldn't know what they're doing. It's just a really strange team at a really strange time for the Titans right now. Uh, just for for people watching at home, their next five games at Jaguars, hosting the Bills, hosting the Chiefs, at Colts, at Rams. And then I'll throw in game number six, hosting the Saints. But I could totally, yeah, I could totally see I, them. I got nothing losing to the Jaguars, and then rallying under Vrabel and beating the Bills on a sort of the Bills are expecting to to pile drive the Titans because they just lost to the Jaguars, and and they come down and give a soft effort, and the Titans win. If they lose to the Jaguars and beat the Bills, 
ah, who are who are they then? Right? It that's the biggest variance you can get. You lost probably the or you you know you lost to the worst team in the NFL and you beat probably one of the best teams in the NFL. It's just going to go on like that. It feels like a roller coaster for the whole season for Tennessee. Or or like you said, at at best they're going two and three. God forbid one and four, and then their record is three and six halfway through the year and it's and then who's winning the afc south because it's not like we love every other team in the division no so just a really weird outcome for the first the first little bit of games here this is the kind of thing we kind of usually feel like after week one and week two but then we get week three and week four and we're like nope nope that's who they are well we got week three week four with the titans we're still sort of like who are they yeah it's really odd uh, three interesting number three, Danny Dimes has become Danny Dollars. Because uh, you you look at some of the deep balls he was uh, unloading there against the Saints. I will say this about about Danathan Jones, um, he really throws a pretty deep ball. Always has. He, he's he's cut down on the turnovers this year so far. Um, you know, did have the one interception yesterday, but I mean by first couple years standards of his career. I mean, that's positively improvement, but, you know, throwing for 400 yards again, stretching the field, you know, hitting Saquon down the boundary, hit a great touchdown to John Ross. He looks a lot better this year. Again, I'm not saying he's completely above reproach. I'm not even saying he's a top 10 quarterback yet, but he looks solid. And he's absolutely not the reason they have a losing record right now. It's kind of everything else around him. Um, you know, they've had a lot of injuries, obviously, with the skill position players. The offensive line has both been banged up and just not very good. The defense has been streaky. We'll call it that. Like, for once, Dan- Daniel is not even close to the reason why they lost a few games. Then all of a sudden, the supporting cast around him kind of came came together and gelled a little bit and put together a solid performance and allowed him to thrive. And next thing you know, again, he's putting up 400 yards and, and beating the saints on the road in overtime. Um, just I've, I've seen some really big steps forward from him this year so much so that if this keeps going, I'm not sure that Joe judge will survive after the season. I'm not even sure that Dave Gettleman will survive after the season, but I do think there's a shot that maybe Daniel Jones survives after the season. If he keeps playing like this, because he's legitimately a better quarterback. Yeah, this is the, this is the mea culpa category for all the crap we've given Danny. Um, and we gave him plenty last year and he deserved it. He was a turnover machine and he was the reason that, uh, not necessarily that they lost because it is a team game, but he was certainly one of the reasons they were inconsistent. And if you're going to heap on a guy when he's down, rightfully so, when he writes the ship, you got to say so. And this is us saying so. 28 of 40, 400 yards, two TDs, a pick. Uh, but 402, I think, is a career high for him over a Saints team that is not one of the worst teams in the NFL. It does have a very talented secondary And to your point, he has always, in my eyes, that has always been his strength. Give him protection, set him in the pocket, and let him unleash. And he's got an arm. Uh, He is a very good deep thrower. It's that, you know, again, he didn't feel the rush. His ball security was terrible. 
uh, you know, he's putting it on the ground just about as often as he was throwing picks. Like you give that guy a couple seconds in the pocket, somebody fast he can throw to Saquon's healthy again. Again, that route down the boundary was super pretty both before and after the catch, but he he's powering this team right now uh, as much as, you know, as far as they're going to go. But we we've definitely stepped on him a lot when he's had his missteps. So when he has a shining day in the sun, we're going to, we're going to push him up a little bit and say he deserves it. Um, The, the big recipient of his big day was free agent acquisition and big play lightning rod show favorite, Kenny Galladay six for 116 with a gaudy 19.3 yard average per reception. Um, We talked about explosive plays as 20 yards a pop. You threw it to him six times probably going to win the football game. Uh, so good for Danny. Uh, it's nice to see talented players play well. He's done it more often than not this season, but yesterday or uh, Sunday, yeah, yesterday, not used to recording on Monday. Yesterday was his high point, uh, over 400 yards and looking good doing it. So. Also, the, the Giants as a whole, people forget, are like three plays away from being three and one. Like it's it's not a bad team, you know. If uh, if they don't jump off sides against Washington, that, they that. probably win that game in my eyes. You know, Falcons. It was a three point game, very easily winnable game. Yeah, they get blown out by the Broncos, but again, other than that, I mean, you could be looking at a three and one football team here that's you know challenging Dallas for for division leads. So I. I I think it's I think this week's game, which ironically is against Dallas, is going to be a very interesting litmus test because as great as the Cowboys have looked, you can never predict anything in the NFC East, regardless of how good or bad each team is. They always play each other close. And again, this Giants team is not as bad as their record looks. They've got talent. If Danny gets on a roll here. They, they could pull this one off. I, I would still bet on the Cowboys to win, but I'm not like all the way in because of how much how much better the Giants have looked in their record. It's really, really fascinating game. Yeah, I I'm really wary of of Daniel Jones heading into face a red hot Trayvon Diggs. Like, and if there's a guy we just need to talk about, regardless of category, like Trayvon Diggs deserves a little airtime. He's a guy that has exceeded even my loftiest expectations for his ceiling. And I never thought he was going to be bad. I thought he was going to be a solid, an average to solid corner. And and there were much higher uh, grades on him coming out, but I was not one of them. I thought he was going to be a good football player. He's so far past good football player and anything I thought he could have ascended to in his second season. And it's happened like it's happening so fast. He was pretty average last year. He had some flashes, but he really looked like he was learning into being a rookie. He looks like an entirely different player this year and better than he ever looked in college. And that was one of the scouting reports on him is that he might be a better pro player than college player. That does happen. That's that's not an uncommon report you hear on guys coming out. Some people thought he had that kind of hidden potential that he hadn't displayed in college. Oh boy. Like, oh boy. He's playing corner as well as he's a top five corner in the league right now. He's up there with Jalen Johnson and all the guys that are just, you don't want to throw at him right now. Um, so that's going to be, 
Ah, it's going to be a tricky day for somebody that's had questionable decision-making issues in the past. Like if he, if he tries him, uh, Danny might have a much rougher day. I, I could very easily make an argument that he is the front runner for defensive player of the year right now. He's right there. You, it's, it's not just the turnovers. It's, it's the fact that it's it's just hard to throw against. Like he's not getting tipped balls. He's not lucking into stuff. It's not like over oh, playing zone and I float under the ball when it's thrown deep. Like no. he's playing man coverage and breaking on the ball and picking it off. He's doing shit that not a lot of corners in the league are are capable of doing. And I right now he is the front runner for defensive player of the year. And I'll tell you what, a year ago, if you told me that that was a sentence going to be coming out of my mouth, I would have said you're crazy. Yeah, because he had he had a bunch of PBUs last year. He had some picks, um, but it seems like every big play he had, he would give up a big play. Well, he cut out the giving up the big plays this year, and now he's just making plays. And so he's, he's playing better, like you said. It's just more yeah. consistent. It's not the consistency between variants. Like, yeah, he eliminated the bad plays, but he also took this and pushed it up. On a week-to-week level, he's playing out of his mind right now. He's so good, and that's what's really surprising to me. Is he? He? You know, that's a two-part thing where you're okay. We need to get you sort of more midline consistent, but we're going to take your midline and jack it up like seven notches, and you're just going to play that way every week. You don't see that kind of leap. People talk about that sophomore jump, or you know, guys really taking the next step. Like that's a leap. Like that's a gigantic leap from where he was last year, both in skill and consistency. And it's just, it's rare to see it happen that quickly. And it it's all clicking for him right now. He's playing such good football. And it's, it's honestly just a testament to uh, the quality of coaching at the assistant level. Uh, that's vastly improved this year in Dallas. You, know, you go from Nolan last year where, I mean, the, <laughs> Honestly, the defense has openly said that they just didn't like playing for him uh, to, to Quinn this year. Who's he's really turned that defense around. The guys love playing for him. They play hard and and clearly he's had an effect on uh, on refining digs and turning him to into inarguably a top 10 corner at this point and very arguably a top five corner at this point. So, uh, again, it, it, Dan Quinn proven to be a pretty good hire for Dallas so far. Um, with that being said, let's get to, again, my favorite segment of this entire show, the bootleg shot of the week. You guys voted and the winner from uh, week three's episode was Sony Michelle, uh, with some of the prettiest pass protection you're ever going to see. Absolutely decleating a, uh, a poor Buccaneers DB coming off the edge. I think it was Ross Cockrell. It was. He upended Ross Cockrell and put him right on his noggin. That was yeah, a great just shot. Just a hell of a hit. Uh, Matt Stafford, I'm, I'm sure, thanked him profusely after the game. For Hopefully bought him a steak dinner. That's the, that's the kind he owed of thing. Him. He owed him. So uh, with that being said, I have my shot of Pendleton Midnight here. Ooh, got my Canadian whiskey. Lovely. What do you got? Uh, I have uh Kinsale Irish whiskey, their black reserve. Um, it's, you know, I would say it is a good middle of the road Irish whiskey. It is their, uh, again, aged extra in barrels. Um, yeah, I like it good and solid. And that pass protection was good and solid. So it's a fine match. Yeah. I just want a Canadian whiskey cause it's like taking a shot of maple syrup and, 
after doing brimstone all night tonight, I feel like I need it, a little bit of a def- little bit of reprieve. It's definitely going to taste like maple syrup after brimstone. Brimstone is the one bottle uh, story when I was at your house that you were like, smell this, taste this, taste, you know, you were like, taste this. I looked at it and I went, oh, yeah, that's yours. Cool. No, I, no. <laughs> cool. you don't have to give me any of that. I'm not actually going to put that in my mouth. I've never met another human being that actually likes it other than me. <laughs> no, I was like, yeah, that's cool. I've smelled it. I can say that I've smelled it. Like, that's as close as it's I ever lava. need to get to brimstone. It's just straight yeah. up lava. It's rugged. Uh, so, with that being said, not... cheers to you, Mr. Michelle, for winning Indeed. our bootleg shot of the week for week three. Indeed. Wow, that's fucking water compared to brimstone. Yeah. Jesus. I didn't even taste it. This is my people's water, but uh, it's not water. <laughs> I'm nothing. No chaser. Nothing. That is nothing. Yeah, I don't need compared chaser, to brimstone. I definitely felt it. Oh, man. All Uh, right. So we've got nominees for this week now, and we're going to start it off with a big shot from the Monday night game that we already talked about. Renfro heads up play on special teams versus the Chargers. Form tackle hit, dislodged the ball. Uh, Most people probably saw it because it was nationally televised games. The only one on. We'll post the link uh, in the clips. The next one, Jeremy Chin of the Panthers. Forced fumble that actually wasn't, but totally still is. Uh, we're going to call it Jeremy Chin's robbed fumble. Um, really good hit. Uh, Chin, who was a show favorite during the draft process. Mm, lots of speed, lots of size. Used both on that hit. Planted the guy. Ball came loose. Officials disagreed. We don't disagree. That was that was a fumble, Jeremy. Nice work. Uh, again, we'll we'll plant uh, that one. In well, the specifically, well. by the way, the the issue was that they they said forward progress was stopped, and when they ruled that forward progress is stopped, that's not reviewable. So they couldn't review it to see that there was a fumble. So there was a fumble, and everybody knows there was a fumble, but they couldn't actually review it because for some stupid fucking reason, that's not reviewable. Except yes. when they're challenging a spot on a third down or goal line. And I'm like, why is that a rule? Why can't you just challenge forward progress anytime you want to? Okay. Oddest rule of the week. And and probably nobody saw this one because it was NAIA happened on Saturday. Team uh, attempted the kick. It got blocked. The kicking team dislodged it and recovered it in the end zone, resulting in a what they classified as a one-point safety because you can't get two as if you advance the ball forward you can only get one as if you were kicking it so the kicking team had the field goal blocked and then they were running it back no the other team got it the other team grabbed it didn't advance it i believe got hit dislodged it the kicking team ended up covering it up in the end zone the result, after a very long conference, was a one-point safety for the kicking team. So they basically get their extra point by another method. Never seen anything like it. The officials looked really confused. You got to dig deep in the rule book to figure I, out. That I, yeah, one. that's the one that comes up on the uh, like the referee test. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh yeah, you think you're good? Here, try this. What's who gets the ball and what's the points? Uh, uh, anyways, super fun. Back to shots of the week. Uh, this one is a personal favorite. John Franklin Myers <laughs> using Jeff Swaim as a as 
one listener put it on Twitter, a human meat shield for the tackle for loss. Basically, defensive lineman takes the poor blocker in front of him, slams him into the running back who just happens to be Derrick Henry and knocks him down. Uh, it's a tremendously funny play. I love it to death. Uh, had to make the lineup. Um, again, we'll put highlights in there. And then a play we referenced earlier in the show, Javante Williams running back for the Denver Broncos. Do you remember when I said in our divisional preview, which was the very first one we did, and I said, oh, yeah, Javante Williams is easily RB1 in that backfield. And people came at me in the comments. They're like, they have Melvin Gordon. And I was like, I know. <laughs> it's okay. He's still RB1. People laughed at me for that. And I'm like, go watch this Javante Williams run where he gets hit, breaks free, gets hit again, breaks free, has three guys jump on his back. Kind of looks like that. African safari footage where the wildebeest is going along and three hyenas jump up on him. <laughs> just runs on for another like 10, almost 15 yards. Like Javante Williams is RB one in Denver. If you hadn't noticed, uh, but this was absolutely not, not by workload yet, but by talent. Oh. Yes. Like pleat. This is very much like the Trey Lance and Justin Fields thing. Just the running back version, like get him on the field folks you you know the returns are going to be really good he's awesome in pass pro as well not surprising uh given how physically he is running he is stacking guys up in pass pro which is typically the gate that rookies rookie running backs struggle getting over to get playing time because you don't want to get your quarterback killed and if you're not good in pass pro you're not going to earn playing time javante williams is really strong in pass pro and he can deliver runs like this now broncos might have some other issues. Maybe he doesn't receive as well as they think he should. Whatever. Like, he's a very talented runner. He's not going to get your quarterback killed. Get him on the field, please. So those are the big, like, of, uh, not to interrupt, but as of this week, the carry split with Gordon and Williams was almost even. Nine carries for Gordon, seven for Williams. So the it's tightening. The workload is tightening. Just need to take those sliders and shift them a little bit the other way. I'm not saying he should get all the carries. Melvin Gordon's been running very well in his own right. Uh, is a talented runner. He's not Javante Williams. He should still be getting carries and and quite a few. I wouldn't be happy if you like I said you just switched that where it was nine for Williams and seven for Gordon. Um, I think as he gets more opportunities, he feels like one of those guys that's going to be productive. And look with r young running backs that's when you use them, right? It's it's not later on in their lifetimes. You you run that tread off the tires when they're fresh. Um, so get them out there. Uh, don't waste that time. But we have four nominees this week. We've got Renfro, Jeremy Chin, John Franklin Myers, and Javante Williams. So go ahead, put the votes in. We'll tally them up next week. We'll drink a shot in somebody's honor, and we'll have four or five more for you next week as well. There are always a plethora of fun hits, and we love to hear from you. Uh, I ended up putting the notification out a little bit late on Twitter, but you all came through. We got like eight or nine nominations. Um, honorable mention to Alec Ogletree's perfect hip toss of the Detroit fullback. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to bring that up after the play. So we really can't put that one in. It looked very much like uh, Khalil Mack, but Khalil Mack did it to Tristan Wirfs last year, which is a whole different classification of a thing. But uh, Alec Ogletree, perfectly executed hip toss uh 
to the Detroit fullback who they, that one goes back a little bit. The fullback and he had had some words on an earlier block and uh, he came at Ogletree a little bit late to play and Ogletree absolutely just flipped him over like a turtle. So good times. You can go check that out, but not an official nominee. O- Ogletree has been in the league long enough where he's now, it has not the old man strength, but the middle-aged man strength. He's still got a couple <laughs> years where he gets the old man strength. Oh man. He's, I, he's I would take nice career at this point. Yeah, no good times. Uh, week five watch list. These are the four games. Uh, we could not just choose three this week. These are the four games that we're really excited to watch, uh, for various reasons. Ram Seahawks kind of speaks for itself. Two teams that we are desperately trying to figure out, especially the Seahawks. I mean, not that anybody can ever really figure out the Seattle Seahawks because even the Seahawks can't figure out the Seahawks, but seeing them go up against a very talented, well-coached Rams team, I'm really excited to see that game. I think it's the Thursday night game, if I remember correctly. It is, um, and it's in Seattle, so it's that's a whole ooh. different thing. As you have been there, you understand the, the advantage that building grants, but it is really, it's going to be one of those things. McVay trying to bounce back uh, after a loss, a, a particularly lopsided loss, short week, uh, against a division rival like this is not a nothing game this is sort of a two-for-one game being a division game there's just a lot of storylines that intersect and and can they get back to executing can Stafford sort of rebound he typically has in his career he's had those games where he's had the shaky stretches and the shaky games but uh, when he was the quarterback for Detroit he typically came back pretty strong the next game gonna be a challenge uh you know Russell Wilson the Hawks coming after coming off an emotionally charged win at home going to be a fascinating game to watch we also got uh buffalo kansas city in a rematch of the afc championship from last year to excellent teams in the afc buffalo's on a roll kansas city just put up 40 burger uh little little well not little pretty big difference from i would say the last times last time these well, shots already getting to me holy shit uh last <laughs> time these two teams met only a few minutes left, Brett, in the podcast. You can make it. I got you. Um, you can totally make it. The Bills' defense is playing absolutely out of their mind. Two shutouts in the last three weeks. Uh, they are just phenomenal at really every level. Uh, the Milano hamstring injury, I have mm. not looked for an update since he left the game uh, when I got the notification for it yesterday. I have not looked for an update on how serious that is, but if he's not playing – that is a serious loss for this Bills uh, defense because he is probably one of their best weapons against RPOs because of how damn good he is at staying in that slant window but still being able to get in the run fit because he's really, really quick. So that could be a pretty big loss for them. Uh, We'll see. Again, I'll monitor the injury reports, but Bills Chiefs should be a great game and probably a playoff preview of some type. Uh, 49ers Cardinals. Again, Trey Lance, ideally, this will be his first start. So I definitely want to watch that, especially if he's getting practice reps all week long and they're putting in a game plan, quote unquote, that <laughs> actually built a game him. plan for him. Yeah, go fucking figure. Uh, the Cardinals are also, you know, 4-0. Can you tell I've been drinking uh, 106-proof whiskey all night, PJ? Uh, the Cardinals are also doing, uh, you know, 4-0. They're absolutely a buzzsaw right now. So that should be a fun game to watch. And then Browns Chargers, two extremely fascinating AFC teams. The Chargers are on a roll. They have uh, at least 
from what we saw this week. They can win in more than just one way. They don't have to just win with Justin Herbert's arm. They can play defense. They can run the ball. And the Browns, again, they can play defense. They can run the ball. Or they can air it out with Baker Mayfield and Odell and all their weapons and everything like that. So two very well-coached teams, two very talented teams going at it. Uh, really, the, uh, the, the, the four matchups that we're highlighting here all very easily could be playoff previews. And so I'm super psyched for this week five slate. Yeah, Browns Chargers is going to be particularly fascinating because Browns defense is playing crazy great. Not any surprise to us. Loaded with athletes. Greedy Williams got a pick last week. Miles Garrett is playing tremendous football. Baker Mayfield had an interesting week last week. He didn't he didn't play as well as he can play. He tried to play outside of himself a little bit. He and, did have a bad week, yeah. And Justin Herbert is you know, clearly a grade above a Baker Mayfield as quarterback. And I feel like this could really come down to how the quarterbacks execute because both defenses are playing really well. Uh, you know, the Browns have a ton of other offensive weapons. It really comes down to the the signal caller, the trigger puller, whatever you want to say. And if Herbert plays a sod game or even plays as well as he did against the Raiders and Mayfield doesn't really rebound or sort of play within himself just lean on the running game which has been very good in cleveland like that could be the difference in this game also said if baker rebounds and goes off which we've seen him do he's streaky a little bit in that way a little bit less consistent i'll say than herbert uh just a fabulous fascinating wild card to figure out how mayfield's gonna play we're gonna assume herbert's gonna play at a pretty high level he's been doing that regularly both defenses are great going to be a really cool tilt of two AFC teams from, you know, different divisions uh, that both have postseason aspirations for sure. Uh, before we get out of here, EJ, um, I know you've got bears over beers coming up. Uh, I also want to plug a film room that I have coming out later this week. It's part two for the Panthers defense, which has now turned into basically, holy shit, the Cowboys ran all over the Panthers and here's how they did it. <laughs> um spoiler alert furiously scribbling out your notes damn it <laughs> okay here's the thing people are like brett it's your fault you curse the panthers uh yes you're correct but in my defense how my curse worked this week it manifested itself through phil snow and made him put in a completely bullshit game plan that i have Zero explanation for any zero rational explanation for they did stuff that they had not done the entire season. They're playing a whole bunch of, you know, under fronts where they lived in over fronts before they're playing nickel into 12 and 13 personnel. They gave up a hundred yards on nine carries when they played nickel into 12 and 13. You know, they're playing, uh, you know, when they're playing base into 13, they're, they're, they're not boxing the front with their outside linebackers. So they're making corners take on pulling guards and they're ripping off like 20 yard runs on counter. And they didn't adjust to that the entire game. It was a terrible game plan. So, yes, it was my fault, but also it wasn't my fault. And I'll explain that in the film room later this week. Well, that's good. I can't wait to hear it because the shift from base to nickel against power fronts for runs was like, all right. (laughs) 
Like, I'm not sure I would have done that, but then again, I'm not a defensive coordinator. It didn't seem to work very well because the second coming of Ezekiel Elliott was was evidenced on Sunday. But um, Bears Over Beers coming up this week. Uh, again, Bears Over Beers is a preview show we do every week over on Windy City Gridiron for the Bears' upcoming opponent. And this week they are playing the Raiders. So we got a friend of the bootleg show. Ted Wen is going to show up on Bears Over Beers, which is fantastic. He's agreed to come and preview the Raiders. Nobody better to preview the Raiders. We're super excited to have him. Uh, so that show will come out Friday morning. Uh, is also going to be on YouTube. We're doing YouTube this year, uh, which is new for them. Also launched the Bears Over Beers Patreon this week to follow up on the bootleg Patreon. It's been a big week. Uh, so go check it out if you're a Bears fan or a Raiders fan because Ted's fantastic. Uh, you already know that. He's been on bootleg, but friend of the, friend of both shows now, which is which is fun to say. Always great to talk to Ted. One of the best X's and O's guys on Twitter, period. Um, and then we've got a couple of special folks to thank uh, at the end of this bootleg show that we have not had to do before. And we have executive producers now. So we're going to extend our deepest thanks to our executive producers for bootleg football. Murat Khan-Eg. I'm really sorry if I butchered your name. I promise I'll get it right next week. And Constantine Hausler. So couldn't do it without you. Really appreciate your support. It means a ton uh, to both of us. And with that, uh, we will see you next week. Yes. Again, thank you to Marat. Thank you to Constantine. Again, they're uh, they're two of our newest patrons who uh, are on the highest tier, so they got executive producer credit. Uh, I I was shocked that they did that. So I I want to also give a personal shout out to you guys again. Thank you so much. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed the show that you guys are helping to make possible every single week. Uh, ideally, this is going to come out Wednesday. I'm assuming this is coming out Wednesday. We're recording it. What is it? After midnight on Monday night. So yeah, it's kind of Tuesday morning now. Yeah, it's kind of Tuesday morning now. Uh, it's like 3.30 a.m. Eastern time. So yeah, it's Tuesday morning, whatever. But so it'll be out Wednesday morning, ideally. But uh, until next Wednesday, when we're going to have next episode out, we hope you guys are having a good week of football. Hope you enjoy Thursday night football. Uh, shoot any questions you have our way for this weekend's slate. And we love you all. See you next week. Later. Cheers. Cheers.